Hello and welcome to Fun Problems, the problems of fun. I'm Peter C. Hayward. I'm AJ Brandon. And today we have a very special guest, which is me. I'm the special guest. Welcome me. Thank you for being on my own show. Amazing. Uh, we also have a much less special guest, which I'll let AJ introduce. Am I the last special guest? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all the important people on this episode. Uh, thanks for <laughs> listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Our other special guest is Little Alex Horn. Is that how you <laughs> prefer to be introduced? You know what? I do now. It's, it's easier, isn't it? <laughs> and I just sort of realized recently, you, are you, you're familiar with Little John, are you, from Robin Hood? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Very I, big man. I think it's just me and him who've got the same ironic little moniker so yeah i'm happy with little alex horn and rappers as well it's lil l-i-l but they, but they tend to actually be little don't they some of them are, are rather um busty women who go by lil and i always thought that was the joke uh, okay well yeah well it's it's them me and john <laughs> we're the little people now mr horn mm-hmm. can i call you mr horn is that okay no that's weird <laughs> <laughs> uh, little alex there we go um Perfect. uh so alex you are i would say best known for the show you created which is called taskmaster which is one of my favorite shows of all time i don't say that to every tv host we have on here i promise <laughs> okay well i'll take it thank you that's very kind of you and again weird I, any, anytime anyone says they like anything you do is odd but but the fact that you're in LA saying that, I, I yeah, I'm struggling still with this idea that people like it. But thank you. I'm enjoying I was gonna it. Say, you're, you're so British. Over here, everyone's like, yeah, of course it's your favorite. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> it's like, I made it. It's amazing. Why would it not be your favorite? Yeah, that's so alien to me. But um... <laughs> to me too, I'm, I'm Canadian, so. <laughs> good. Well, not good. But yeah, I'm glad you can empathize with me. So you make the show Taskmaster, which do you want to describe? Would you like, you'd like us to have a crack at it? Well, I'd love you to have a crack at it. That's mainly what I do. I make Taskmaster and then talk about Taskmaster. So I'm very happy for somebody else to describe it. <laughs> so Taskmaster is the show that I recommend to people the most without without any competition. And that's because not only is it very entertaining, which I know as, as a British man, you hate hearing. Not only mm-hmm. is it fascinating, entertaining and, and hilarious, yep. it is yep. supremely accessible. <laughs> and I mean that in every sense of the word. So we were discussing before we started recording the fact that it's for the most part on YouTube. So if you're in the US, if you're in, I think, Australia uh, or Canada, you can just go into YouTube, search Taskmaster and start watching today, like right now. Stop listening to this podcast, go watch it. It's amazing. 10 seasons later, come back and finish the rest of the episode. And so in terms of like recommending it to people, you don't have to be like, okay, so it's really good. But first you have to download this, like you have to subscribe to this service that's only available on some devices, et cetera, et cetera. You can just go on YouTube right now and start watching. Mm. It's so interesting you say that that's such a big part of it because there was sort of accidental, really. I think we just thought, well, let's whack it up and see what happens. Really? But when you when you put it like that, you, you do realize that is good. But then there's this whole thing of, I suppose it's sort of free content now. You know, people expect these things to be free. So as a model for programming going forward, it's an odd one to just give your program away. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it's super profitable for you if everyone's watching on YouTube. So uh... <laughs> No, but but I don't really care about that. You know, I prefer people to watch it than not watch it. Right, so that's good. I like I like that answer. That's good. So it's accessible. Well, it's accessible not only in terms of platform, but also the clip that I always send people, and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you do the same thing when you're recommending it, is the potato in, in the golf hole. It's a self-contained six-minute drama. That is just like, you don't need to know anything else. So you can, again, a lot of shows you have to be like, look, start watching, but wait four seasons before it gets good. Or you have to read the book first. This one, I send them a six minute click and that they are hooked. Mm. 
Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> and then thirdly, you can either just keep on watching clips, which is what I did for a long time. And then once, once you start to like, be like, I really like this, then I recommend people sit down and start watching the episodes because I think that the clips are hilarious and, and funny and interesting, but the episodes elevated above that. And then the seasons elevated above that because you have the same comedians on each season. I've done a terrible job of describing what the show is. This is just my pitch for like, go and watch it. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to know what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. People just know that there's a man throwing a potato at some point. <laughs> You've described it a bit like music that you might hear a little sort of snippet of someone's song and that's fine. What you really want to do is watch a, listen to a whole song. But what you really want to do is buy the album. We actually filmed some today, Taskmaster, and uh, in an odd location. And there was an old man who was on security. And uh, and he, I happened to hear him around the corner saying that he really liked the show. He was saying it to somebody who didn't work on the show. And I did not expect this man to be a Taskmaster viewer. He was really old. And he said he liked it because it's slapstick and old-fashioned. <laughs> and um, it's mainly it people falling over. It is very classic feeling, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think I didn't think of it like that. I think it's really sort of clever and fiddly. As I have to say, I don't like slapstick, but I love that show. You know? Yeah. So, well, hopefully there is there's something around the corner for everyone. I suppose there is people falling over, and there's also uh, escape room type puzzles. And then I suppose in England, as well as hitting the YouTube audience, who I'm mostly recommending it to, it's also on TV. Like it's a TV show that you can you know turn the TV on and watch. So you're hitting that audience as well. Very old fashioned. Yeah, you have to yeah. wind up the telly. <laughs> and press button four. I think we're just about timed it all right that we TV hasn't quite finished yet. Yeah. So I've done a, a stupendously bad job of explaining what the show is. AJ, do you want to say what the show actually is? <laughs> so the show is a series of explicitly tasks that are given by Alex to contestants. The contestants complete those tasks. And then months later, they get graded by an arbiter who is going to use whatever metric they want. I mean, the contestants are given goals, but they're not given explicit scoring conditions at the time of the task. And then it's up to this arbiter, Greg, who we will refer to many, many times, who is the- The taskmaster. The taskmaster, yep, thank you. To determine with a final score of that task. And then at the end of the episode, after doing a variety of different tasks in different contexts, uh, there will be one winner with the most points. And then at the end of the season, there'll be one winner overall. How'd I do? Yep. Yeah, I enjoyed Graded by an Arbiter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, this is a game design podcast, and this is why we wanted to get you on, because you are, in essence, a game designer. But it occurred to me, you've probably never been interviewed as a game designer before. I definitely haven't, uh, and I've not thought of myself as that. I mean, I do think of myself often as having a, a fairly unique job, or, or at least it's quite lucky that I have ended up in a job coming up with these ideas, and it seems to be something I'm good at but I didn't know it was. So yeah, so maybe I'm a game designer. So I'll take it. Yeah, the way you described it then did make it seem like a, a game. How would you describe it? What did we not cover? I, I think one thing we didn't mention is that it's all comedians on it. <laughs> that's, that's sort of a big factor. Yeah, all comedians. And it's the same. I think the crucial difference is here to most comedy panel shows is that it's the same five comedians for every season. So at the moment, it's 10 episodes with the same comedians. And so there's a bit of a sitcom about it. You, you make allegiances and you might have a favorite and relationships develop. So there's a there's a bit of a narrative slightly. Also, it's improvised in that they have no idea what's coming. And in the studio, there's no script. So that's a crucial difference over here. And then I think the last thing I'd say is that the tasks themselves are probably the most important factor apart from the that's comedians. So, good. so it's things like sweat the most or collect the <laughs> most sweat in, in an egg cup. <laughs> I think that's a good example because 
yeah, it's collect the most sweat in an egg cup. You've got 20 minutes, your time starts now. So as soon as the time starts, they have to do it. Yeah. So what we need is a variety of approaches every single time. So when that one, somebody ran on the spot, etc., did exercise and tried to gather the sweat that way, somebody else made a little polythene cave was that it? Yeah. A polythene sweat cave? He hid, un- hid under the under the table, surrounded by plastic, and just tried to, hit, to create yeah. all the heat pumps. And then another man, Al Murray, urinated in the egg cup and tried to <laughs> convince Greg that u- urine is the same as sweat. So, so that's a good example of people trying different methods, and who knows who's right? And we find out in the studio because the taskmaster is always right, and and then they they chat. So there's so, not yeah. jokes, but it's just funny people being funny. Yeah, um, I, I will point out uh, for our. A lot of our audience is in the US, and the US, you might not know this, doesn't have panel shows, just not a thing over here. Yeah. Baffling to me. Uh, the closest we have over here is game shows. So, you know, Wheel of Fortune, Price is Right, that kind of thing. Um, panel shows are a massive thing in the UK and correspondingly Australia, which is basically it's a game show, but with comedians on, and the comedians are trying to not only be correct, but also be funny, or even predominantly be funny because it's an entertainment show. And so, Taskmaster is fascinating because it straddles the world of panel shows and the world of game design, which are my two of my overriding passions in life. I used to run a panel show back in Melbourne. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to dive in and ask you some questions about the design of the tasks. Let's um, do which... it. I'm ready. Cool. So when you're designing a game, and, and again, we're going to frame all this through board game design. So bear with us, Alex, as, as we get uh, very technical and boring. When you're designing a board game, the goal as the designer is to incentivize the players to have fun. Because people won't have fun without an incentive. So you need to sit down and be like, what is the most fun thing that you can do in this game? Cool. Now, how can I make that also the winning strategy? That's kind of the crux of all board game design, is aligning fun and success. Interesting. Taskmaster is really interesting because that's not the exact... Like, like, obviously, you want the people to have fun because A, they're your colleagues, and B, you want them to you know not be miserable on the show. Although, if it's entertaining, maybe you do want them to be miserable on the show. But you are trying to align success in a task and entertainment value. Would you say that's a fair description? Yes. I do want the comedians to have fun in that I want them to come out of it having had a good experience. But I think it's funnier to watch them struggle than to watch them glide through it with a smile on their face. But we want to see some of them having fun. Yeah, and I mean, some of the tasks are genuinely horrible for the contestants or for you. <laughs> you you've eaten dog food on this show. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say more often they're horrible for me than them. I think at the start, there were a couple of tasks which were a bit more pranky, like uh, the Impractical Jokers style thing. We had one task, which was they were in a shopping center and the task was high five a 55-year-old fastest <laughs> win. So they, they had to go and meet the public and accuse them of being 55 years old and then try to get them to high five. And it, it was funny, but it was quite out of kilter with the rest of the series so we got rid of any public tasks after that so in general i don't think it is horrible for the contestants unless they make it horrible for themselves which they often do (laughs) but we never ask them to do anything explicitly embarrassing they just bring that on themselves well just just bring up two examples drink the vinegar that's not a pleasant task Mm -hmm. and the one that you mentioned earlier which is sweat like these are both things that aren't i would say aren't pleasurable they're not torturous i'm I'm not saying that you're torturing these people but the entertainment value is to a certain extent in watching them suffer yeah but i suppose the thought is always worse than the reality because it's up to you how much you want to sweat and make yourself sweat you know you're, you're all you're playing for is points right right but that's sort of what i'm what i'm talking about the the alignment between success in this case sweat the most and fun are at odds with each other which which is unusual in design yeah that's a good point well the vinegar one's a good example as well because 
it sounds like an awful task, but they, all they had to drink was one thimbleful of vinegar. But there were two hundred and fifty shots <laughs> on the table, so lots of them assumed they were all vinegar. So yeah, and also I should say they're really disorientated when they come into the room. They don't know what's happening, and I've occasionally had to come into that room without knowing what's happening, and it is awful because really, yeah. Well, if they if they set something up for me, you know, there was one oh, oh, surprise right. Alex when he comes out of a shed in an hour's time. So I come out of the shed in an hour. It is fiddly because you don't know what's going to happen and you know it's going to be on TV. So you want to win and you want to be entertaining and you want to not look like a fool and yeah. so on and so on. So, yeah, I think what you said is right. It's an odd juxtaposition of things. Yeah. So when, when you are designing the tasks, how much are you thinking about, like, will the most successful person at this task also be the most entertaining? Is that a conscious thought process that you're going through? No. And I would warn you that there's not as much conscious thought in the planning as I imagine you do for board games. What it is more is instinct of thinking, okay, this is an interesting setup. I want the viewer to want to know what happens next. So once they hear, in the way the format works, if you've not seen the show, is that you see the contestants read out the task. So for example, give Alex a special cuddle. You have 30 minutes, your time starts now. And I want the viewer to think, okay, I want to see how these people do that. I don't, I don't care as much about the winning, I suppose, but I do care about the potential for different responses to it. And I just want the, the viewer to always want to come back. And the other thing is every single task is different. There are similarities, but every single one's different. And, you know, after 13 series of, yeah. well, there's been 120 episodes, so there's been 500 tasks. So that's... That's amazing. That's hopefully means you're constantly surprised as a viewer, I suppose. So I'm more interested in the surprisingness of it than the winning, than the gameplay, I suppose. Yeah, our audience is board game designers. To parallel that to board games, as designers, we don't actually care about who wins the game. Sure. You know, when we make a, a card game, we're not sitting at home being like, oh, I sure hope that someone gets five more points than someone else. We are trying to design a fun engine, like an engine which you can pull out and have fun at every time. But because humans are these weird little creatures that like only respond to, you know, bright lights and flashing things, we have to put points in. We have to assign a winner. Because mm -hmm. if, if we just gave you, you know, the mechanics of chess and said, just have fun with this, no one would play chess ever. Like, instead, you have to be like, here are some fun, interesting things. Now try to crush your opponent. People are like, ah, I have something to do. I have a goal. So again, I recommend Taskmaster to everyone. But if you're a game designer, especially if you work in the party game side of like social game, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. It is an invaluable tool as the designer to watch and just see all, all the all the different and interesting ways that you've you've run it. One unexpected thing from Taskmaster is that people have taken the games to unusual settings. So a lot of teachers use it in classrooms. Really? That's cool. And lots of scout groups, they'd use it a lot. But then also stags and hens use it and birthday parties and, <laughs> and so on. And I really like that and never, you know, I try to encourage it as much as possible. And I can't imagine it working, you know, people trying to get their 10-year-old children in the classroom to sweat the most but there are there are there are lots of different tasks involved you know one of them is just they each of the contestants got a ball of string and it was just work out the length of this ball of string but they're in a caravan with nothing to measure it with and I, I know that works so well in the classroom because the teacher told me they knew that one of the kids was exactly four foot tall so they wrapped the kid round and round with string <laughs> to work out how many of that kid how, how long the string was so that's that's really gratifying that's so interesting 
So you're saying like there's a lot of different contexts that this works in. And I basically did the same sort of style of thing in Taskmaster in a youth group. And I imagine a lot of other youth groups have done the same thing. And there'd be things like film yourself with a stranger, but doing X, Y, or Z, but they can't know that you're filming them or, you know... (laughs) Uh, like a weird scavenger hunt find a bunch of random things around town or sit down and then reveal the platter and eat your platter before somebody else but it's something like spam covered in chocolate or or whatever right so this is all very taskmaster territory yeah Yeah. (laughs) and actually saying that we had a teacher a math teacher at school who i've kind of forgotten about till now who did that so we, we were sent out one day on a scavenger hunt around town and they're the things you remember from school not the lessons so yeah i think anything to liven up learning obviously, mm-hmm. is, is a good thing. I'm going to sort of backtrack a little bit because I feel like we dived really straight into the to the game design stuff. On the show, you have been asked a couple of times about the tasks being games specifically, or people will refer to the tasks as games, and you've pushed back on that. And because I know you've also designed No More Jockeys, which is another game that you play on YouTube, I was wondering what the distinction was in your eyes, because you mentioned earlier that you didn't really see yourself as a game designer, but clearly you have designed games. Hmm. Yeah, well, so with Taskmaster, I definitely see them as... <laughs> the th- thing is, the whole pretense is that we're doing it for Greg, who is a Taskmaster, and these are things he needs done. <laughs> for some reason, he needs these egg cups full of sweat. <laughs> so I'm always working on that logic, that they are tasks, they're important things to be done, and we've got to take them seriously. So it's thematic. Yeah, exactly. And I also think of it, because I'm a comedian, that my, my day job was stand-up comedian, so I always used to think of the tasks as half a joke. So I'd sort of write the setup, which is a man walks into a room, opens a letter, and it says, sweat the most. And then the comedians come in and write the punchlines. The better comedians than me come in and write the punchlines. So I suppose I always thought of it like that as funny situations rather than the games was, was an accidental angle. Whereas No More Jockeys is definitely a game. And it was designed not by me, by the other two, Mark and Tim. I, I came upon it a month too late to be one of the <laughs> founding fathers. But that was definitely a game to pass time. Just for context, No More Jockeys is a show that your co-hosts on the No More Jockey YouTube channel, which I also recommend. I've watched all of that. It's amazing. That was on an actual like panel show at the end. You'd, you'd play No More Women, as it was called at the time, and then mm-hmm. correctly rebranded 20 years later as No More Jockeys. And that's a proper like party game. Like you could, you could sit down and play that with friends at a party. Yeah, well, it was just invented to cover long distances. We were all comedians, and we would travel up and down to Edinburgh. So it was just to fill four hours, and it can last way longer than that. Yeah, we call those car games. Yeah, exactly. It's a car game. And I, and it was only turned into a YouTube thing because of lockdown. We were we were all stuck at home. And it turned out to be better on Zoom than in real life. And actually better on Zoom than on telly or radio. It just sort of fits that little world. So that's what we're doing. We just still do it once a week. And it's, I don't know about you with your friends, but I have more enjoyment playing that game with them than just going for a drink and not playing the game with yeah. them. So it's it's about being together. You're speaking to gamers here. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very familiar sentiment. Yeah. But that was a deliberate game. Taskmaster's an accidental game, I suppose. Yeah. I really like that you said you're designing the setup and the comedians are designing the punchline for the show. I think that's a really great way to frame it. One of the things I always wondered was, do you think the show would work well without comedians? Like if you're doing it with celebrities or even just fans, or do you think you'd have to make some adaptations to get the results to be as funny as they are with comedians? Well, we've done two. So at Christmas this year and Christmas last year, we did these one-off specials with celebrities, but they were we knew they were funny celebrities, I suppose. But we had a newsreader, a quite serious business journalist. We had a, someone from the House of Lords, 
The Baroness. The Baroness, yeah, we had an athlete. So they worked, but I wonder if they worked because they were one-offs. The, the advantage is that the audience knew them straight away, so you don't have to work hard to get to know them. But I'm not sure they would sustain 10 episodes. Having said that, there was a lot of clamour from people on Twitter saying, oh, we want to see these people again. So I, th- I think it would work as long as they're entertaining enough. But as long as we're, as, the same with comedians, as long as we cast them well. So, yeah, I like to think it would work, but it's a bold step to say to comedians, right, that's, you're done. We're now moving on to historians. To do a bit of a deep dive, you also did at the TV festival in Scotland somewhere, you mm. did it with like four network executives or whatever they're called over there, commissioners. and Yeah, they were tele-industry people. Yeah, which the audience didn't necessarily know and who were explicitly not entertainers. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So that was the Edinburgh Television Festival. And just as we were, we'd done a couple of series, seasons, and that was an experiment. That was harder work, I suppose, because Greg had to do all the legwork of making it funny. And it felt like we were victimising them a bit, I suppose, deliberately, because normally the commissioners have the upper hand. So it was fun to... Yeah, you're punching up. Yeah. So I do think the advantage of comedians is that they can fight back. And the funniest bits is when they do stand up to Greg or try to fight their corner, which in in that Edinburgh instance, they they really didn't. They were cowed into submission. (laughs) I should say for listeners who don't know, Greg is six foot eight and 23 stone, which I don't know how many kilograms that is, but I think it's four figures. It's uh, four. It's, it's not four bigger kilograms. Uh, it's got to be close. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> He's the crush of every woman I've sent this show to. <laughs> he also plays up the big, intimidating, slightly cruel, but in a playful way, you know, uh, where like he'll, yeah. he'll be teasing contestants. You want to please him. It's weird. He's got the twinkle in his eye, which means he can say a horrible thing, but you sort of <laughs> say thank you afterwards. <laughs> so good. Let's talk about the show structure as a whole. So you give out these tasks and the comedians are just trying to solve the task. Your focus with those is, like you said, to surprise the audience and make them wonder how this will be solved. Yes. And I should say on day one, we said to the comedians, don't make jokes just be yourself you know you're funny people we pick you because you're funny people so just try to do the things it's more important to be competitive than funny if people didn't try to do it their best then it'll fall apart i think right yeah that sorry that's that's really exciting for me to hear because that that's what we were sort of getting out of like you want to incentivize completing the task rather than incentivize being entertaining but you as the task creator as as the designer as we would say in our industry are trying to design a thing that allows them to be entertaining while doing that yeah, it's great if it's character-based. So so they will show off a bit of their character by doing the thing, whether it means rushing into it, planning it, or being overambitious. That's important. So to give you an example, you would never have solve this Sudoku the fastest as a task because like, it's just not going to be entertaining to watch. Correct. Correct. It needs to be a bit more of a blank sheet of paper, but with enough direction for them to get themselves into trouble. Have you had many tasks where everyone's just solved it the same way and you've had to cut it? Well, that's interesting. Very, very seldom. There was one which it was sort of the equivalent of the pulling a tablecloth off a table and not removing any cutlery. So I think there were, I think there were five eggs on the table, maybe even 15 eggs on the table with a tablecloth underneath. And they had to remove the tablecloth without dropping any eggs off. And it turned out it wasn't that hard. And they all did it without dropping any eggs. And normally we'd, you'd think, oh, we won't show that. But I think on this instance, we did show it because it meant Greg could get very cross with me as a designer for, <laughs> for letting him down. And I think, to be honest, we, we do try to be, make it quite an honest program. So if something happens, we, we show it in, in general, as long as it's entertaining enough. So quite often, four people have failed and only one has made it. And that's great. That's drama built in right there. Yeah. And if two people do exactly the same method, 
I think that's interesting in itself. And and you can just intercut them. Yeah. And if two people who are on paper, very different personalities have landed upon the same thought process, that's a little bonding moment for them. And almost anything is interesting on some level yeah. <laughs> to reveal a bit about someone's personality. So you've got these tasks where you are designing them just to be as entertaining to complete as possible. And then you've mm -hmm. got sort of the show as a whole, as in both each episode and each season. So it's a fairly straightforward, most points wins. But as any game designer will tell you, there is so much more, you might think, well, we just did the obvious thing, but there's actually so much nuance in the way that it's structured that you might not even be aware of. So for example, Greg doesn't just rate everyone out of 10. He's not like, you get seven out of 10, you get one out of 10, you get five out of 10. He, on paper anyway, ranks. So I'm just, I'm just curious as to what the thinking was between that as a design decision. It definitely wasn't deliberate. I think it was just keeping it simple. We just thought, Five people seems like a nice number. Four felt too few, six was too many. I was surprised it was five when I started watching. I, I would have assumed it was four and then five. I, th I think you're right. I think, again, I think there's so many decisions in this show that if, if anyone else had made it, I mean, even beyond the, the individual tasks, which are, which are brilliant, but like so many subtle decisions that would have changed it so much mm. in ways that you wouldn't notice. Again, because as a game designer, you'll work a game for a year and then you'll change the scoring method slightly and the whole thing will click into place. And I feel like Taskmaster is just so many of these things clicking into place. Yeah, and, and there's so much luck that... We haven't really changed it since the beginning, design-wise. So five is an odd number, I mean, literally an odd number, which means <laughs> that when we split them into two, it's not even. We have a team of two and a team yeah. of three, which we might talk about later on. I really like that. There's a lot of idiosyncrasies to it. It means that some tasks, it's easier if there's three of you, some it's easier if there's two of you. Yeah. And the points, we just thought, well, this is the simplest way of doing it. The winner gets five, the loser gets one. So every time you get a point, and there's a, one comedian had a motto that you're getting a point on the board. Whatever happens, you're getting your point on the board. <laughs> and I, I like that. No matter how badly you do, as long as you don't get disqualified, you get a point. But no, no, I'm sorry. There's no clever answer. It was just a decision that felt right. I don't know if you spend much time on the Taskmaster subreddit. I do not. We talked about this today. I can't go on that. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a very opinionated place. And so one thing that people often discuss in that is when Greg goes off that scoring system mm, and starts treating it as out of fives. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, like, as the designer, when he's the quote-unquote boss of the show, while you're the actual boss of the show, how do you feel when he deviates from the system that you've set up? I would say at first, I was sort of frustrated, thinking, this isn't, this isn't what we said we'd do. This is meant to be this fair system. But I genuinely really like it because Greg doesn't know how he's going to judge it till he's seen the things on the night. It's not pre-planned. It would be, in some ways, a better show if we planned it so every single show ended on a knife edge and, you know, the right, series right. all the, came the down to the final point. The, yeah. yeah, but we don't know what he's going to do. And he's got his own brain and he's trying to react on the night. And I think that's better. Sometimes he thinks he's got it wrong and that's fine too. But we don't do it again. You know, we don't go back and rescore it. So I guess slightly through gritted teeth, I encourage it. I don't encourage it on the floor i want him to do it my way but he's got to do it his, he's got to do it his way because he is the boss and he is my boss he's got to take ownership of it yeah i remember one time you passive aggressively were like well i don't have a way to score this the way <laughs> yeah. that you're saying but i'll <laughs> we'll do it well in his defense i would say also his job is harder than my job hmm. because he's got to judge these people who have tried really hard and have given over quite a lot of their time i mean they are paid but they are putting their dignity to one side for months and then Greg will look them in the eye and say, you were the worst, one point. <laughs> and they're all upset. At some point, they all get upset. So I can tell sometimes he's thinking, look, I don't want to upset this person any further. I'm going to make them joint third. And he's sort of, he's not wimping out. He's doing the... He's being political. Yeah, he's, he's being diplomatic. 
And sometimes it makes the show incredibly entertaining. Like we mentioned before, the potato task is by far the most drama you get. And the reason why it's so, so gripping is because Greg is like, I'm willing to consider deviating in this specific instance. Yeah. And I was mm. on the edge of my seat. There was a roller coaster. <laughs> it was. So after that recording, my brother was in the audience. Well, he was a lawyer and now he works for the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority. He's quite at work serious. And he took me to one side and said that was that was a wrong decision by Greg. He took it very, he said, <laughs> he should not have disallowed that. It was unfair, but I think history shows it was the right decision. I think you've got to... Yep. You've got to play by the rules. And that really set a precedent. If you break a rule and you get spotted, then you're out. And we didn't know that Joe had stepped over the line for that particular instance until the editor uh, sent us an email saying, look, look what I've seen. And we were so <laughs> pleased. But we toyed. We didn't know what the right decision was. Uh, this, this, is, this is not game design related. This is me being curious. How much input do you have on the editing process, if any? Uh, well, as much or as little as we want. So, But the, the editing team are crucial to it. I, I always think it's... Mm -hmm. Really fun editing job because yeah. you're making these little stories each time. Finding gems out of raw footage. Yeah. So the process is they get the footage and they make a cut, and sometimes we barely change it. But normally the two Andys, the producer, the director, and I will send back notes. The director sends the most notes, and there'll be another cut, maybe one more, and that's it. So you won't on the day be like, hey, I want to cut like this. You'll just send them the footage, and whatever they do with it, they do. Uh, not quite. So I type up. So on my clipboard, as I'm watching, I am writing notes, and then oh, I really? type them up. I type them we'll up. We probably have to cut this. This is just me being fascinated. But <laughs> oh no, it's fine. So I email that to. The, well, they go on a shared drive, and the editors see it. But on that, I will say this is how they should be grouped. You know, the two people who did it fast, the two people who did oh, it. Oh, interesting. Okay, but yeah, that doesn't I, mean it, we sometimes chop and change that. But yeah. we make those decisions. So you, you, you go in with a, with a, okay. uh, AJ. I know you have some questions about Greg's role. Yeah. So where did that start? Was it? always uh, your intention to have somebody else be the person who sort of takes the flack for the decisions or someone other than you like distancing yourself as the designer of the tasks to be able to come and do the scoring because standard course for any game designer would be I create the tasks and I create the criteria for it but the fact that you're removed from that process is really interesting to me uh yeah again it was just natural so there's a few things in play first of all to get a show commissioned on tv you need to have a, a well-known person at the helm and I was not a well-known person Greg was so I, I never thought that I could host the show I so I, I always thought well we need somebody else to host it and it was always going to be Greg in my head because we knew each other we'd been on the circuit together I can't think of anyone else in this country who would do the job as well <laughs> but I never thought of me doing it because I mean he's alpha I'm beta it's as simple as that really and I really <laughs> like the role of sidekick because you can chip in and be snippy yeah but also, I can see everything that's happening. I have all the notes on the iPad, and I can control little things. So it was just always, it was fate, AJ. It had to be that way. And it is, yeah, maybe there's something funny about the dynamic of him pretending to know what's going on, but really, I know everything. <laughs> it's a bit a bit Wizard of Oz, I suppose, that the person who's really in control is the feeble little man behind the screen. Puppeteering Greg. <laughs> mm. As a game designer, I'm so jealous of the show because with a game, you have to make, not have to, but you, you will typically make something once that has to be played a thousand times by a million different people. You have to create a system that can just run on and on and on without you ever having any interference. Whereas when you're making these tasks, you make them once for a specific like group of people. Actually, that, that's, that's an interesting thought. Do you write the tasks with the contestants in mind? Yeah. Occasionally, but not, in general, definitely not. But there might be a group of people who are more physically able than others. 
if there's a contestant on there who's really musical, we'll definitely make sure there's one musical task in there. But that's it. So each series are basically 30 tasks. Yeah. And there's normally one involving food, one involving music, <laughs> five involving some sort of sport. But the, we don't look at these numbers ever. We're, we're never thinking yeah. this isn't right. It's it's all done on feel. But so no, so not really. But I know someone who's coming up in a series who I'm thinking, I can't say who it is, but they're quite a specific character. I have them in the back of my mind, I suppose, thinking this person's gotcha. going to be opening this. Even the very first time, there was a guy called Frank Skinner in the first series who in the UK is a, so a legend of the scene. You know, he's been around forever and I used to watch him. So I'm always thinking, God, I'm going to ask Frank Skinner to whatever it is. <laughs> so his one was get the most tears in an egg cup. It was the one two series before Sweat. It is odd asking your hero to do that. Yeah. But also it's tantalizing. You know, it's really funny because you're sort of, punching up a bit you know i'm very much lower level than him so suddenly making these people do these things they yeah it's in the back of your mind who's going to do it but i'm not tailoring it specifically yeah as designers we're creating a box that has to be played infinite times so we have to sand out all the weird edge cases and make sure that it's colorblind friendly for example right whereas you get to make it sort of once and watch it go and then throw it away and make a new one and then the flip side of that of course is that you have to generate tasks for years <laughs> yes yes but I, it's probably the same as you guys the more you do it the more you come up with them yeah so actually i it's not sort of a well that you're well, it is more like a well than a, you're not mining for gold. It's not going to run out because the more you mine, the more you find. And I suspect everyone who watches this show assumes what I did, which is that you have a team of, of task designers, like that it is it is a group of writers who are all boffins and you're coming and being like, we need seven tasks from each of you by the end of the day. But it's all you, isn't it? Uh, I well, it's, it's in the 90s in terms of percent. Um, yeah. The people, the team... Obviously, there's a production team, and we really encourage everyone to suggest stuff, but we're quite um, protective over it. So I think because it always has come out of my brain, it always feels like it has to. Otherwise, it would change it a bit. And there's some comedy shows here. Some some panel shows are notorious for, at the end of it, the credits will roll, and you'll see program associate, which means team of writers. So they all have the same feel. Once you've got a team of writers, it's in danger of being homogenous, yeah. I think. So... Yeah, so I, it's mainly me, and then the two Andys come up with them as well. But they will also shape my ideas. So Andy, the director, will say, yeah, but it'll be better if you do it this way because he knows television. And Andy right. Cartwright, the producer, will say, what about this to give it an extra angle? Mostly the ideas are from my head, and then they're slightly chipped into shape by them. In board game terms, you're the designer and they're the developers, and then the studio is the publisher, I guess. Yeah, we do get people suggesting tasks, and that's enjoyable and awkward because i feel like if we take someone's idea then we're stealing it in my head that's they should be rewarded for it the awkwardness also is that normally they send something in which we've already thought of because we feels like we've <laughs> thought of most things yeah. or we've tried it and rejected it or we've come up with the idea exactly the same time as then so they'll assume we've nicked it right uh, which happens a lot in comedy anyway so joke theft yeah, no unsolicited submissions yeah but i would say one other thing is that they make this show in some other countries so sweden and New Zealand are really good at it. And we all share our tasks because they show ours over there as well. So they have to come up with their own ones. And that's really fun. When we use one of theirs, I really don't mind that at all because it feels like it's from the world of Taskmaster. And it's really exciting <laughs> that people in Sweden have done the same thing and then and then we do it. So whenever we see their later series, I watch that with real interest, thinking it's entertaining and we could do that. Yeah. That's, that's really fun. We talk a lot about design space on this show because board games are typically very constrained. Like in Monopoly, for example, there's no card that makes you throw a card up in the air and try to catch it with your teeth. 
that's outside the design space of Monopoly. Design space is about rolling dice, moving tokens, handing over money and getting property. And so the design space for Taskmaster is an almost infinite field, but with these like sort of oblique edges because <laughs> it's it's you know you don't have to be constricted to words or actions it can be as physical or as verbal or as creative or as whatever you like but then there are some restrictions yeah i'd love to dig into what you see as the the pillars where it's like this is a line we can't cross yeah mm. there's not many i'd say one thing we stumbled upon I, I, i'm going to ask, answer that question in a very roundabout way so <laughs> do do pull me back to the question because what i was going to say first of all was that we've sort of discovered that actually restrictions are really useful. So I like it when the audience at home can watch it and think, oh, how would I do that? So instead of having masses, so good. huge pieces of equipment, we tend to have tea bags and mugs and things you could do at home. However, once in a series, we always have something big because it is nice to also do something televisual yeah. <laughs> and on a slightly bigger scale. In board games, we call that table presence. Something that right. makes you like, as in this case, as you're flipping the channel, stop and be like, what is happening there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd also say that during the pandemic, we were suddenly restricted. So I oh, couldn't yeah. be within two meters of the contestants and the contestants couldn't be within two meters of each other. So we suddenly had to design these games, which didn't involve them hitting me or kissing me. And that was really <laughs> fun. So we had a task where the three contestants who were doing working the team were tied together by a rope, a two meter long rope with a bell in the middle. And if that bell touched the ground, it meant they came too close. So that was really fun. Restrictions are useful mm -hmm. in some ways. Restrictions breed creativity. Yeah. When you sit down to design a board game, if you say, I can literally design anything I want to, that's a very difficult thing to actually come up with something interesting. Yeah. It's much easier if you have something from a publisher or if you give yourself a restriction or if there's something else that forces that creativity on you. Yeah, I'd say to try to answer your question, when it feels out of our world, first of all, if it involves the public, that, like I'd said earlier, right. that feels non-Taskmaster. It has to be achievable in an hour, I think. That's our rule. Ideally, 20 minutes. Oh, interesting. There's the odd task where you have an hour and the first bit of it is select five things you want me to get from the shop and then do it. So just occasionally we set the task, someone goes to the shop and we do another task in the meantime and then come back to it. But we much prefer it when it's self-contained. You open the envelope and you do the thing in whatever time it says. There's no point it being more than an hour because then you have, if it's an hour, that's five hours of material for the editor to cut down into four yeah. minutes. And also fatigue for the comedian. Yeah. Like they're probably going to be less funny if they have to do this funny thing and be funny for three hours, right? Yeah, but the selecting the time is really interesting. When you say, give Alex a special cuddle, you've got however long. That's another instinct thing. We sort of think, oh, that feels like a 20 minute task. But I don't know why, you know, I, I feel like in 20 minutes, you can, get your, you can get your teeth into it in 20 minutes. You're not going to panic. But sometimes we want them to panic, so we say you've got eight minutes. But that's all pretty, not random, but done on not much logic, I suppose. So you gave the bell as an example. Can you think of any other tasks that were inspired by a restriction? I mean, I'd say one restriction which we impose on ourselves is that we're located in this little cottage, uh, the Taskmaster house, which is quite a peculiar little place. And it's a bungalow. So it's only one story, and it's only actually got four rooms. So we often limit ourselves to the lab. The lab is our sort of Dexter kill room. <laughs> it's a calling card of a room it's just a white room with polythene sheets all around it so it's white clean so you can do anything there <laughs> yeah yeah you do anything in there and often the restrictions are you can't leave the lab so it just means that they have to work on their wits but but we hide things in the lab even you can hide things in a very small room so it's restrictions like that i suppose so often on the task it will have a little restriction like you must stay on the spot or you must always make a noise over 100 db that sort of thing so so we impose restrictions like that 
And quite often we'll come up with a task which is a bit basic and we think, what is the restriction? We'll chuck in that scenario to make sure it's funny and not just a task. You know, yeah. it, it can't quite be put up a shelf, best shelf. Yeah. <laughs> it, has be, it has to be put up a shelf, but the shelf has to be the same height as Greg's head and you have to balance 18 snooker balls on it. So, you know, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. In terms of restrictions, have you felt that you needed to change your format in terms of what you allow on the show just because the show has gone on for many seasons? For instance, I know that there's a secret cupboard because I watch the show. So if, if someone mm. watches the show, they might be like, oh, right, I should check the secret cupboard. Or maybe a better example is um, in season 12, there was a task where contestants walked into a room and I think it was the, um, yeah, the vinegar task that you brought up earlier. They walked into the room. They were like, I have to drink all the vinegar. There's 250 things. More than one person immediately stood up and looked around the room to see if there were any clues for which one it should be, which is something that in early seasons of Taskmaster, people didn't know that that was a thing that could happen. That's definitely true. I mean, you would be amazed by the amount of people who don't do that. I mean, we, we quite often put an instruction on the back of the task and they don't turn it over or under yeah. the table. But yeah, and it's slightly frustrating to me that we do have to put in more rules. So the potato one, to go back to that, the task was get this potato into the hole in the middle of this big red circle. You may not step on the circle. And one of the contestants rolled up the circle, sort of moved the circle. So straight after that, every series after that, we have to put in a little rule saying you may not move the circle. Or there's one... Oh, now if we, have to, if we put arrows down and it's something like follow the course, we now have to put you may not change the direction of the arrows because someone's done that. So every time somebody finds a little gap in the rules, we have to add a line. And I love... My favourite tasks are when it's just three lines. Do this thing, you have 10 minutes, fastest wins. But rarely now do they not have some caveats in there. But I think the viewers have come along on that journey with us. So they, you know, they're looking for the tricks. But sometimes it's like an essay. They have to read them out. And <laughs> that's always a bad sign. But we have to trust that people follow it enough. And we, we try to show it with the graphics on the screen to make it clear to everyone what the rules are. That's very much the, the game designer quandary too, because we mm. will, except like I said, we're not just doing it once and then sending it out. We're running it and then running it again and again and again. So like we will play test our games for months and months and months. And especially we do unguided or cold play testing where we just hand people the rules. We watch them play it. We see what assumptions they make. We see what things they've done. And we go back, rewrite the rules to include those. So it's sort of, sort yeah. of like what Taskmaster has been, except for instead of over a hundred tasks it's over one you know it's the same game again and again just trying to sand out all those edge cases uh, we do, do definitely do the same thing in some respect that often we'll do a task in one series and it doesn't quite feel right something something's wrong so we don't show it and we fine-tune it and then use it in the next one oh, cool. and that's quite exciting we, so we always shoot maybe five tasks too many knowing we will there'll be a couple of duds but also we want to not include some good ones so that we know we've got things for next time. Do you remember any offhand that went through that process? I'd really love to just hear like the evolution of a task. Well, one thing that we did in series one that didn't work, so we thought we'll try it again in the next series was, and I do talk about this quite a lot, We bubble wrap feels like a perfect Taskmaster tool. So we had this enormous roll, so four foot tall and really wide. And the task was burst all the bubbles, fastest wins. In the first series, it was just that. It was just burst all the bubbles, fastest wins. And it was it was just a frantic mess of people trying to burst bubbles. So there was no creativity. So we tried it again. We, we put a little tweak, which was your time starts when you burst your first bubble, which meant you could plan it. You could get it all set up with somebody got a little a lawnmower for cricket pitches, you know, the, a, a roller, this <laughs> yeah, the roller yeah. thing, really heavy. Somebody else got a van and drove over it. Someone else uh, just got sharp knives. But the problem with it was bubble wrap's amazing. And if you go over it with a steamroller, 
it doesn't burst it it just spreads the air around <laughs> but as soon as you burst one then you have to carry on so it ended up again with five contestants all just popping them one by one one by one so I think we tried that in four different series and it was never entertaining. I can imagine that evolving into the balloon task. Which balloon task? Uh, sorry, the clothesline of balloons. And they spelled it out in, in Morse code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, balloons are a staple. We do have staples. We have rubber ducks, we have balloons, we have potatoes. <laughs> and balloons are very useful because they're cheap. We, we now use biodegradable balloons because we're trying to be a good show. But in general, and we'd ne- we never release them in the air anymore like we used to because they will, <laughs> cows will eat them. But they're funny things, balloons, you know, and they pop and they expand. So, yeah, maybe that did. Maybe each time, who knows what trail of thought it kicks yeah. off. That's interesting stuff. That leads into talking about playtesting. I'm so curious. Do you playtest the tasks beforehand with other people to see how they might go? Or do you just brainstorm how it might go? Or like, what is the pre filming aspect of the tasks after the brainstorming look like so there's no definite plan often we don't do anything if it if it's something really? like i keep using the sweat example because we've talked about it enough now so for that one we didn't test that on anyone because there's no point because there's five comedians coming in <laughs> if we test that with a production person <laughs> they're not going to do what the comedian's going to do so that you've just got to trust that's going to work if it's something more technical like they had to pop all these balloons on this wall, like you said, and it turns out they were all lined up in Morse code, but only one person spotted that. We will test that not to find out if it works, but just to make sure we've got the ingredients. And they, So we'll line them up and just see how long it takes. But very rarely do we test it to see if it's funny. I think we just have to believe in it. In playtesting, in board games, playtesting is not... It's, it's partially to make it entertaining, but it's also just to find those edge cases, whereas I yeah. guess... On Taskmaster, you're not concerned about the edge cases until they happen. Yeah, exactly. And we like edge cases, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes, I guess, testing it helps know how long it might take or just a little tweak to it. So, yeah, we definitely do test stuff. Maybe half the stuff we test, but not thoroughly. The one aspect that we really do test over and over is at the end of each episode, there's a live task where all five of them are on the stage in front of the audience. So it's different to the rest of it where they're doing it in isolation. And that one, we have one go at it. So if it goes wrong... That's it. We'd, we have to show this climax oh, of the show that doesn't quite right, work. Right. So we really test that one. So we get people in, we get friends and family, and we, t- we treat that really seriously. So that, that's the one bit we test and tweak and test. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say that part of the show is the closest to a like pure game designer. Like Those yeah, are yeah. games. Those are competitive games that you're playing in real time that won't be like edited around and they're not individual puzzles to solve. Those are pure game. And so do you design all of those? Yeah. And some work and some don't. Some series we think we nailed them this year and some they, some we don't. And it's really hard to put any real... We never analyse it. We just we just know sometimes <laughs> sometimes we want them to be physical, sometimes not physical. The contestants are tired. We film two in a day. Yeah. And they've got to understand the rules there and then in front of an audience. And they all have questions. Oh, they're the really difficult bit, I'd say. If I can just dig in on a specific example. It's fresh in my mind because I just watched it. The Paper Airplane... Oh, that didn't work very well. Yeah. I was really curious about how you felt about that. Because, like, as a game designer, I'm not trying to be rude. I was cringing. As an audience member, I was laughing. I was laughing so hard. So I wasn't sure if you saw that as a success and if you were intending that. Because I was looking at, like, the bins, the numbers looked really confusing to me as a game designer. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I, I think we would put that down as not one of the more successful ones. But we do have this lucky escape plan that if it all falls apart, it's sort of funny that it's a mess. We've, we've, we've won enough trust, I suppose. And Greg will always have a go at me for doing yeah. it wrong. 
was gonna say you're, you're the safety valve he can just like, yeah now now it's just a abusing alex bit exactly so this was just throwing paper airplanes into bathroom furniture and so into a toilet into a bath a sink and so on but not a single contestant got one in i think or pretty much and if you threw it further you get more points it was complicated and too difficult the good thing is that you have five good performers on a stage in front of 250 people so there's an energy in the room and they're trying to be entertaining anyway so even if the game doesn't work we've got five comedians so maybe that's where if we didn't have comedians it might slightly be more delicate it's uh, it, it's funny to hear you say like that's the hardest part, and that's the bit where you're just like, we don't know why this didn't work and didn't work because uh, I have a podcast I can recommend. It's called Fun Problems, and it's all about <laughs> exactly that about designing yeah. games because it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I, what I don't know is why we don't analyze it, but I think we have to make these things quite quick, and and we just prefer to run on instincts, I suppose. Yeah, well, you're doing like two seasons a year or something like that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't feel like the way that comedy... I always think comedy shouldn't be too much of a science. There's a quote about analysing comedy is like dissecting a frog, that you'll see how it works, but it will die, that, that sort of thing. So I, I do worry that if we look too closely at which tasks work, we will kill the whole thing. That's so funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm a very, very analytical brain. And so for me, I'm like, those are games and you are designing a game. And so, yeah, I, I want to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but you must know also sometimes instinctively that's, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Even before testing it, you must sometimes, and we, and we definitely know with a task. If I write something down, I'll send it to the Andes, and they'll we'll all go. Yeah, that's that's in, and that's going to be yeah. a highlight of the series. And we're not always right, but you just feel it sometimes. Yeah, I was going to say it's funny because uh, I I have that instinct, but the more I'm I'm ten years into my game career as of like a month ago. And the longer I go, the more I, I find that instinct and then I go and test it and it doesn't work. And I'm like, man, that instinct is a, is a wily one because like sometimes yeah. you nail it and sometimes you're like, but on paper, this was perfect. This should have worked perfectly. And also sometimes my brilliant ideas <laughs> are let down by the comedians. I think this is going to be brilliant. And they come in and <laughs> they come in and they all do something boring. But no, very, very rarely. But sometimes I think I've set you up here. You know, I've, I've given you an open goal and you've not done what i wanted you to do and that's turns out that's my fault not their fault <laughs> i'm not trying to like put salt on the wound or something but uh, do you have an example of that where you think like oh maybe i should have tweaked that a little bit more it didn't quite pan out the way that i was planning what i want them to do sometimes the comedians is to not just do the thing but to uh, find a way around it right yeah so so i get frustrated if all five comedians just do the thing without looking for any clever way around it more often than not they found ways of doing a task that I had never thought of. And that's brilliant. When they surprised me, I, I always think I know roughly the things that are going to happen here. But there's one task, which is quite a clever one, which was earlier on the day, they got an in instruction which said, when the alarm goes off, oh, <laughs> you've, yes. got to come in, you've got to come inside and do a thing. I couldn't even remember what the thing was, but they had to do a thing. Put on a, a boiler suit. That's it. Put, a, put on a boiler suit. Thank you. <laughs> and so that's hanging over them. At some point, this alarm's going to go off. So then there's another task eight hours later, which was tie yourself up. Alex is going to untie you. The one who's the hardest to untie wins. So they tie themselves up. Then the alarm goes and they go, oh, no. So there's two <laughs> tasks going on. They've tied themselves up really well, but now they can't put on the boiler suit. But one comedian cleverly tied themselves up loosely, but used the rest of the rope to tie me up <laughs> so that I couldn't untie him. And he didn't know the buzz was going to go off, but it was a really clever way of doing it. So the buzzer went off. He just 
unshackled himself. I'm left in the shed all tied up and he puts the boiler suit on. We didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> so good. So that's that's a really good example of them defeating me completely. And it, it does happen. I think it's my favourite season of Taskmaster. Uh, season was just incredible from start to finish. Yeah, that's a lot of people's favourites. And Rod was constantly doing that. I actually wrote that down as something to bring up. I wanted to dig into these like edge cases and weird loopholes and stuff. But, because it, it seems like in the earlier seasons, the rules were looser and then you tightened them up. But like you said, like it, it's still very clear that like it's not cheating to be creative. Yeah. Good example with him. Golf, to me, is a good task. because it's get, it's get I'm, this... I'm looking at AJ's notes and he's got two examples listed. Yeah. Rod tying you up and Rod moving the hole in golf. Well, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Tell so I think you could just take the five comedians to a golf course and say, this is your task. Because it's stupid. Get this little white ball in that little hole 200 yards away in as few shots as possible. That's a task. So we did that in the garden, basically. And Rod dug up the hole and brought the hole to the ball. And I would love a golfer to do that in, in, <laughs> at the Masters, to stroll down the fairway. And, but then we had a really nice discussion about whether you can move a hole, because he dug up the hole and I said I could still see the hole in the old hole. Because how do you move a hole? Because the, <laughs> the hole is still there. It's just bigger. But, but he insisted the hole was on his spade. So he was carrying this hole. And those things are really fun because then it comes down to Greg deciding whether or not he's moved the hole or whether yeah. the hole was still there. So that's just, you know, it's silly, but it's funny because we're taking the silly things really seriously. And I, yeah, Rod Rod was a real favourite because he was he was subverting it and he was angry and he looked like he wasn't enjoying it, but you could tell he was. So yeah, he's, he's a goodie. One of the many reasons I recommend Taskmaster is because the tasks are so diverse and so interesting in and of themselves. And so I have a little chat with my sisters and the entire time I was watching Taskmaster the first time through, I was just like sharing my favorite thoughts and bits and bobs. And then they both went through and watched all of Taskmaster and, and then everyone in well my life done, has watched Taskmaster. Yes, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the Taskmaster evangelist. And the two I always use are the one with the boiler suit and tying up and then possibly my favorite task of all of them is you had them come out and sit at a little table in the backyard and in front of them was just an assortment of stuff there was some shelves with a duck and you were standing there with a sign that said something and there was like a cloth over the background and a carpet and just like just a bunch of stuff and they just sort of glanced at it and was like oh, okay something's happening there and then the task was you know with a blindfold on eat a cucumber or tie a balloon or something i think it was tie a balloon so that the diameter of the balloon was the same as the length of a cucumber (laughs) (laughs) so it was something that required actual like proper processing of thought then they took the blindfold off and a new task had appeared in front of them and the new task was spot the differences in front of you genius like just Mm -hmm. i'm i'm in awe of that task that one is just yeah that was an ambitious one we tend to do a few ambitious ones every series and they're a nightmare. And we do have a bit of a house. The house rule is the more complicated it is, the more likely it is not to make it. Yeah, of course. But that one worked. So so there were many differences and without spoiling too much. So don't listen to this if you don't want this spoiled. Yeah. Go, go, go watch Taskmaster, then come back and listen to the show. <laughs> yeah. But one of the main major differences was that I was not me anymore. There was a lookalike. And this is a guy who I found a few years back and in, our, in my live shows occasionally. I've got a band and we did a thing where I put a sombrero off, walked off. And on the other side of the stage, this guy came on wearing a sombrero and he's really good at guitar. So he played a song, walked back off and I came on. And we did it a few times. Then we started running around the stage in impossibly quick time. So yeah. I would run off and he'd... <laughs> so it's, a lookalike's always fun. But only one person spotted that it was a lookalike, I think, which is quite... <laughs> it's including my really good friend, Mark. <laughs> so yeah that was a really fun one to do and it was one where we don't really like it if if we're cleverer than the comedians you know we mm. 
we don't like them to be the butt of the joke all the time. And that was right. one where we, we, we had the upper hand, I suppose. I don't really like it if it's us versus them too often. But on that one, it was. They, they were just in our little yeah. trick. Well, it's, it's a sign of a bad game designer if their game is smarter than the players. Like, yeah. Uh, you want to give them the tools for success. That's the goal as a game designer, to be like, here is a puzzle to solve. Here is a competition yeah. to have. Take these tools and be clever. You don't want to make them feel dumb because no one's going to play your game for one. <laughs> yeah. And the same way, we don't want them to. We don't want to make them look silly. We want them to make themselves look silly. So we won't well, too often say, "Wear this ridiculous outfit and do a thing." They have to choose to wear the outfit or take their clothes off, or whatever. We're, yeah, we're, we're always a bit anxious if they walk in because of something we've done and everyone's laughing already. We want you. You want them to provide the entertainment, not yeah. Not we want it to be inter- interesting, but not. We don't want them to be immediately the butt of the joke. Yeah. I suppose. So I, I recommend the show to everyone, as particularly game designers, if nothing else, because of the inspiration you will draw from it. Oh yeah. That task with the, like, we gave you a thing and then later on you had to refer back to it. I've seen stuff like that in uh, Escape Room in a Box, where it's yeah. like, hey, remember remember that, that first puzzle you solved? Well, it's coming back and just little stuff like that. Um, and so I want to ask you, do you, are, you a, are you a gamer in, in terms of board games? Like, do you know what code names is to use a, a metric? I do. I'm, I'm definitely not a gamer. I really like Mastermind. I used to play Mastermind a lot with my brothers. And I really like the cover, the box, the old guy and the, was it a lady. The young woman. There's, the there's young a, Asian lady. Yeah, really odd, really so, uh, odd board game cover, isn't it? So it's an iconic board game cover. And I read an interview with her recently. Oh, really? She, she was the mastermind lady. Imagine being that person. Everyone in her life was like, you were a yeah. mastermind. And her housemate, who was another aspiring actor or model, got really jealous of her. So when the letter came in to pose for the new editions, her housemate ripped them up. <laughs> so oh. she was only on that first box and none of the other ones because her housemate sabotaged her. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I really like that game. That's a really good example of a simple game. Like you were saying, you can play over and over and over forever. And I play that with my kids now. I like Yahtzee. I liked um, I like Cluedo, but I still find it frustrating as a game. I still think there's something not quite... Anyway, um, yeah. didn't really like Monopoly. So just, just the traditional board games. But we did play a lot of family... This is maybe quite English you know games at christmas things like consequences where each person writes two lines of a story but you fold oh, yeah, one over yeah. so we did that a lot and these are all definitely you can see them in taskmaster not in terms of like modern games no no not at all we're, we're in a golden age of board games at the moment are we well that's good to yeah know. we are both modern board game designers and there's four thousand new games released every year or something like that wow and Basically, out of out of Germany specifically, a whole new style of gaming came out. It's sort of taken the the hobby game market by storm. This podcast, just to, to tell you now that we're an hour in, what the show is yeah, yeah. is uh, is a blackmail show. So, Alex, we've got your uh, we've got Have some been photos of me you. for weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, so this show is for people who are kind of designing modern board games. And so, I was, yeah. yeah, I was just curious if there's modern board games you played because a lot of them, in the same way as I recommend Taskmaster for anyone designing modern party games, especially or just any modern board game. I was curious, yeah, to see if you've gotten any inspiration from any of these new games that are coming out. No, I haven't, because I haven't got time, because I've got too many children <laughs> and too many tasks to come up with. But I would say there's somebody on our team called Andrew. Uh, I don't know everyone's job title, but Andrew's been with us from the beginning, and he lives in, in the same town as me, and we're good friends. And he really is a modern board gamer, right. and he designs his own games. And he does tell me about this world. And so I'm, I'm very much aware of it, but I just haven't... This, it's not me for some reason. And... Um, but I think I'd like it, but I think I would worry that I'd get lost in it. Yeah. Um, I do really like escape rooms, and I do them never never by myself, but I take the kids to them, and we really love them. And I worry that sometimes when I'm in there, I'm going to nick all the ideas, which I, yeah. there must be a there must be a real taboo thing. 
in escape rooms? Uh, it, it's, it's sort of... I would say almost the opposite. Yeah. You can use the same mechanic in a different way, and it doesn't feel like you're ripping them off. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we did a thing in a task that's coming up, I don't know, maybe later in the year for you guys, or next year maybe, but just the mechanic of having a pair of scissors that are padlocked together at the top. So they know they've got to cut something open later on, but they've also got to find a key oh, for that so padlock. Good. So they come in, there's a task, and there's a pair of scissors with a padlock on. And I did see that in an escape room and thought, that's too good not to use somewhere. <laughs> well, it's getting late for you. So, uh, AJ, did you have any, any final questions before we enter the, the fun part of the show? Oh, gosh, I've got oh, so really? many. I've got so many. <laughs> did, uh, you, we can do it in a quick fire way if you want. Yeah, to... yeah, let's, let's quick fire questions. Over 12 series now, you've done a million tasks. You've said that you don't exactly have like a set process for, for creating the task, but how has your process evolved beyond, like you said, being more careful with allowing loopholes? Um, I'd say at the beginning, it was more, we slaved over them. It was, God, do you think these are good enough? Do you think... You've lowered your standards is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've lowered our standards. I think we've slightly... No, I think we've got better at it. I think that's it. We, we now know how to do it more. But it's the same process. I go for a long walk or a long bath or a long drive. All three at once sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Often all three at once. <laughs> and just let my mind wander. And I they just sort of pop into your head after a bit. And then I scribble them down or, or record my voice. So at the moment, I've got a list here of about 70 tasks, which I've got to send to the Andes. For the next series, they'll pick their favorite 40 of them, and I'll get upset because I, they won't be the same as my favorite 40. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the process hasn't really changed, but I think I haven't lowered my standards, but I've lowered the uh, drawbridge slightly. Yeah. I, I sort of welcomed you, them you've in a bit better more. At it. You, you've built the muscle. Yeah. I'll jump in. I know that Tim Key, who is your co-host on No More Jockeys and was an early contestant, uh, he is or was listed as like a... a task consultant task consultant so what, what's, yeah. his, what's his role in the process well to be completely honest what happened was so he's my best friend and he was in the first series which is great then the next two series i would just phone him up constantly saying look i've got this <laughs> idea like i remember specifically there's this idea the task was they walk into the room and there's a there's an egg on the table and on the egg it said eat me fastest wins and I remember phoning Tim saying, is that fine? Do you think that's all right in a TV program just to have that? <laughs> and he said, yeah, that sounds good. So that was his role. Just as a, <laughs> a, He was just a sounding board. But I felt more and more guilty phoning him up all the time. And also I'd phone him up about who should be in the show. I'd right. say, what about this person? What do you think? He, he's got his ear to the ground more than me. So that's his role, really, is to just let me talk to him. And we meet up in the pub and discuss. He very occasionally comes up with a task, but one every... I mean, I like the myth that he comes up with a lot more than he does. So let's keep it vaguely mythical. As soon as I saw that credit, I was like, that's a job. Can I please? <laughs> <laughs> a little yeah. less sexy now that you've demystified it. but <laughs> Yeah, it's just we go out for dinner sometimes. Creating clear and concise rules is something that's super important in both game design and clearly in Taskmaster. And you said that doing that's hard. I think you've done a really good job. I would say probably like 95% of tasks, the first time they read it, even though some of them are pretty weird, it's pretty clear to the audience. And the other 5% of the time, the contestant will ask for clarification and then you'll break it down with Greg. Yeah. Do you have any tips for that? It's quick fire round, but tell me everything you can. What I can tell you is a secret, which is that very occasionally... The first contestant will do it because they come to the house one by one. We'll do the task and it will immediately become obvious. Oh, we didn't word that quite right. So we'll tinker with the wording for the next contestant. So when we edit it together 
Oh, we don't, don't use, them. Oh, don't use all of the first kind because, yeah, we do, you tend to learn as soon as you hear it out loud in the room with the cameras on, you notice something that you didn't notice when you were testing it. So I just think about it over and over again. That's that's it, really. Yeah. <laughs> and try to get rid of words. Although sometimes we do like repeating the same word over and over because it's funny. So there's something involving luggage trolleys at the moment. And I have to say the phrase luggage trolleys about 10 times. So sometimes they are deliberately quite confusing. But yeah, just few, it's like a joke. Just the fewer words, the better. Do you ever write the rules for it and then think, oh, this is too restrictive. I need to loosen up the rules to allow that yeah. creativity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's case by case. So either loosen it up or restrict it and hope that you're doing the right thing. Gotcha. During COVID, there was Taskmaster at home. Do you want to talk a little about how the tasks for home were designed as opposed to tasks for the show? Because clearly that's a totally different type of behavior you're trying to incentivize, going back to what we mentioned at the start of the show. Yeah, so that was all about having fun, not about winning. Mm -hmm. And again, it was about variety, but it was real, much more of a blank sheet of paper and fewer rules. The fewer rules, the better. Because you couldn't give a time limit. I mean, they had a week, I think, each time yeah. rather than 20 minutes. So it had to be really vague. So the very first one is the best example, which is just throw something into something. Most spectacular throw wins. <laughs> That's it. And, but also, there's no real prize. I think we did give out points, but no one cared about that. You just wanted to make the montage yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. So it was just giving them this really wide field to play in. But again, it had to be stuff you could do at home because of everyone was locked down. So that was quite fun coming up with them. And... I don't think we used any of them in the show or vice versa. There were hints of them, but they were often using domestics, you know, have a party in your kitchen or a sports event in the bathroom. So they weren't hard to come up with, but they were good ones and bad ones. They're, you know, there are definitely some where you think that's brilliant and others which were the same things came in every every few minutes. Mm -hmm. When you were first designing Taskmaster, how did the format of the show evolve? Because right now it goes, you have a prize task where at the studio with the live audience, you bring in a prize from your own possessions to try and win. Then we cut to the things that we've been talking about for 90% of the episode, where it's the thing that was recorded months ago, and then it was the studio task. So I'm wondering, how did you come up with that format, those types of different tasks? And were there any types of tasks that were different from those three that you ended up not using? Yeah, okay. So very briefly... I did it as an Edinburgh show, so in, at the Edinburgh Fringe, which is a sort of comedy festival, as a one-off thing, which wouldn't meant to be a TV idea. One year, I emailed 20 friends, 20 comedian friends, and said, in a year's time, I'm going to tell you the results of this competition, but I'm going to set you a challenge once a month. You've got to email me or send me your attempt at each task. <laughs> so the first, one was, mm -hmm. the first one was deposit money in my bank account. Highest, <laughs> highest amount of money wins. <laughs> That's yeah, this that was the very first one. Scheme ever. <laughs> yeah, so that really set the tone. So someone put in two hundred quid, and no one else put in more than five pounds. So that set the tone. And the next one was find a hedgehog fastest wins. And somebody emailed back straight. It was Tim Keach. He emailed back straight away saying found it. So I said, okay, you win that one. You know, there was no proof. <laughs> and there was stuff like send me the largest thing through the post. So all this stuff came to my house. So that was just a fun thing. And then somebody. My manager said that should work on TV. So, but it took four years of going from twenty comedians down to ten to maybe eight. Maybe then we thought of ten famous people, and eventually we landed on five comedians. But I don't really know. There wasn't much process. It was just whittling it down. At one point, we had all the contestants up in the sky in the studio, and I don't know why Greg came in at some point. So it was just a process of trial and error, I suppose. My first initial thought when it was going to be 
a TV show, I wanted it to be in people's houses. I wanted, instead of there being a Taskmaster house, I wanted all the tasks to be done in each person's house. Interesting. So if it was sweat, I would knock on the door with a letter and they would do it there. But I was very new to TV. Everyone said straight away, you can't film in people's houses. So that went. I also wanted to film secretly more. I wanted them to be filmed in the taxi on the way to the to the Taskmaster house each time or filmed in their dressing room. And I was told pretty quickly that you can't, you've got to win people's trust. You can't yeah. just, because people are pretty edgy when they come on and they don't know what, you know, what they're going to be asked they're, to do. They're already out on a limb. Yeah. So there have to be safe spaces. And again, the public stuff. We want, I wanted there to be more stuff in the public. And I realized pretty quickly that that's not how to make this particular show. You know, those shows are, are great, but that's a different type of show. So I suppose that's it. And occasionally we have, I wanted slightly more of the long form. Like in series one, it was grow the longest nail was a task. And they had four months to do that. And I'd like there to be more of them because I quite like the idea that people are really investing in it. They're the harder ones because you can't film them. You can't film people for four months. Yeah. So they, they don't appear as often as maybe I thought they would. One of my favorites was the ball task. You had to like take a picture of yourself with tossing or catching the ball from like <laughs> yeah, as many yeah. different locations as possible. The problem with those tasks is that comedians are lazy. it's homework you know but they have to go and do it we can't trust them to do that we have to keep them in the room do it and then send them home yeah so interesting aj any others uh just a couple i'll try to be quick when designing taskmaster for other countries what did adapting the show for that look like one thing that always interests me is like when you're designing a game you have to think of different audiences from different places and so i'm wondering what sort of considerations you needed to make or alterations you need to make um, not just in the format of the show, but in the like the types of tasks that might need to change. Uh, or how much involvement like... did you have? Yeah, well, we are always involved to some extent. I say we, as in the production company, and as little or as much as we want. And I, I don't know anything about anything TV-wise around the world, but the distribution arm of the production company do. So, it's case by case. In Sweden's a big success story, so there it's on Saturday nights and it's big. But their change was they don't have as many comedians as in England. Right. So they always have four contestants, probably two comedians, a funny actor, and a funny personality. And then the fifth person is different every single week. So that's a huge change oh, to us. Because yeah. really it really affects the scoring, you know, the series scoring. But they made that work. And it means that the audience know that as well as different tasks each week, there's one different person. Like, so like that's very a different. guest on. Yeah. yeah. So that's a whole different thing, which we don't do, but it works for them. And and I think we just trusted them. And they said, look, we want to do it this way. And we said, okay. <laughs> um, whereas other countries, I think Spain did it. And theirs was a two hour long show, or maybe even three, because <laughs> Spanish programs tend to be long. And they insisted that's how it's going to work here. And it turned out that it didn't work. <laughs> so, um, But I think in Italy, Italy are doing it sooner. They're doing a two hour one. And it's looking like it will work there. I think we have to trust the countries. Um, we did it in America for Comedy Central. And I was very proud of it and had a really good time making it. I think in retrospect, so it only lasted one season. It didn't pick up the head of steam we were hoping. And I think one thing we probably shouldn't have done was halve the length of the show. So there, it had to be half an hour. The channel insisted it had to be half an hour. And we went along with it. And I think if that was happening now, we would have said, no, it's it's got to be an hour. It's got to be the same as in England because it meant the pace of it was all wrong. So we've learned, you know, as we've gone along, trial and error. And some places we have to say, look, do it our way. But we know we, we, we let people change it. And, and in Sweden, it's not called Taskmaster. It's called Best E-Test, which is 
to the best in show. <laughs> but that's because the word task uh, means penis in Swedish. Oh, sounds like an improvement, I think. Yeah. In fact, I, I should rename the English version Penis Master. Yeah. Like, uh... <laughs> Peter, we're trying to keep this PG for the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> One more before we get to the fun part of the show. Obviously, you've been miserable the entire time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the most recent series, there was a task. It was a team task. And you had one person from each team spelling out a word with their body. Mm. A different person had the task of figuring out what their task was. And because there's the five people in total, there was one person whose job was to get chocolates to fall off his forehead into his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we talked a little bit before about like Greg having some flexibility with the scoring, but that's one where it's like, I had no idea what he was going to do with the scoring. I have no idea what no. I would do if, with the scoring. That task is an embarrassment for game designers. It's not a good, <laughs> it's not a good task. It's not balanced. But my wife was watching that episode last night. She, she didn't watch them when they come out, but she, luckily she likes the show. And I heard her laughing more at that task than any other task because it was so stupid and they didn't do it very well. So there, there's room. That's just a stupid task. Sometimes there's just a stupid thing. The scoring is irrelevant. That guy, Guz, was just eating. He was cheating away up there, eating his chocolate. I don't know how they scored it. Like yeah. I said, it's, it's just these two axes. There's the game. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a game yeah. designer and a comedian. So, like, Taskmaster is the most perfect intersection of these two axes I've ever seen. Right. It's so interesting. Yeah. I'm pretty anal about the scoring, and I'm genuinely interested in who's going to win each episode. And I try to predict it beforehand. So I, you know, so I can see where it's going. But ones like that, you just have to hold your hands up and say, well, let's see what happens. Because <laughs> it's not fair. The contestants aren't pulling their weight. You know, one of them's trying hard, one of them's letting it down. So yeah, hopefully that's the fun of it. I think most people watching it are not like us. I think most people are probably on their phones and chatting away. They're not looking at the intricacies of the scoring system. Well, honestly, and uh, I, hope, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. This is part of why it's such a good recommend because there are shows that you like have to sit down and watch. Otherwise you'll miss exactly what's happening. Like your, your Game of Thrones, where if you look away for two minutes and come back, you're like, wait, who, how is that guy dead? What, you know, yeah, why yeah, are they yeah. kissing now? Taskmaster is not only accessible for all the reasons I mentioned before, it's a show you can safely like have on while you're doing spreadsheet work. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. On every possible metric of accessibility, like Taskmaster is the number one rec. It's amazing. Well, that's good. I mean, that's partly because sometimes there'll be a task you think, well, I'm not really into this. But it'll be over <laughs> in eight minutes and there'll be another one. So, <laughs> One last thing before we jump into the fun part. No more jockeys. You are a contestant on that. Mm. And so as a player on that game, how much are you thinking about winning versus entertaining? I'm not thinking about winning at all, except for when it comes down to the actual final. So one person goes out and then there's two people left in. And then annoyingly, ego takes over and you do want to win. Yeah. But but I think Mark goes into that wanting to win every episode. He comes in thinking, right, I've got a tactic. I never pre-think anything, and nor does Tim. But we want to win. It's a nice feeling winning. Yeah. But I think no one likes the winners. So I won the first two series of that. And, <laughs> and then no everyone wants Tim to win. Yeah. <laughs> we we so like I'm to root for the ages. underdog, for sure. Exactly. I think I would struggle on Taskmaster as a contestant because I probably without being boastful would do quite well on it in terms of the task because i've come up with a task yeah <laughs> so it's definitely the right part of my brain but i would worry that i wouldn't be entertaining because i would just be too much of a smart alec i suppose the youtube algorithm that introduced me to taskmaster is now like oh you will watch anything to do with alex horn great so i've seen all of your comedy that's on youtube and you're on a show the other day um jimmy cars i literally just told you i literally just watched that <laughs> which is it's just a good concept isn't it it's a good idea incredible premise for a show it's again one of those things that as a game designer i'm like oh i wish i could i wish i could design this game 
but you can't yeah, yeah, like yeah. like Taskmaster. Taskmaster works as an as, as AJ says as an external arbiter, and so you can't put that in a box because you know if, if you're like, hey, Dad, you're the arbiter this round, then you know Mum's going to win every game, and so you, it doesn't like it doesn't work as a product in the. I mean, there's obviously the Taskmaster board game, uh, which we didn't mention at all, but does exist. But yeah, no, there, there's so much I'm jealous of as as a. Uh, the TV yeah. format is able to. But do. you're right. So I was on that show. Suddenly, I was sort of a producer because I'm a producer on Taskmaster. So it's odd. I'm on that show with a producer's head. And when we did the second series of Taskmaster, we had this guy Richard Osman, who's also a TV producer, and he was different to anyone else because he always knew what we were looking for. He yeah. was he was being a funny person and a man, a human, but he was also being a TV producer. He was savvy. Yeah. If you had five people like that, it would be awful. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like playing a game with game designers. Yeah. <laughs> No fun to watch. One other thing, just because you just mentioned it, Pierre, I think it's a good jumping off point. Having someone external doing the boring parts of the game. In I literally just told you, so people know the premise. It's a quiz show where they only ask questions that have answers that they've already mentioned previously in the episode. So they'll introduce Alex Horn, creator of Taskmaster. And then they'll say, what did Alex Horn create? As a really simple mm-hmm. example. Yeah. But what they do is they have two people there, presumably more off screen, but two people that they interact with who are recording and like generating the questions the whole time. So if you make a joke in the first half, then they can make that an answer in the second half. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's a memory test. Yeah. Right. And so if you wanted to make that in a board game, you need someone doing that admin work and automatically it stops being fun. Yeah. yeah, and the Taskmaster board game does have that element because one of you has to be the Taskmaster, which is an interesting dynamic. So when we've played it with the kids, there's been many, many arguments. <laughs> yeah. There is a Taskmaster board game. What was your involvement with that? Well, like most of the things that have spun off from Taskmaster, I didn't know anything about the board game world. So we had to interview these companies who came in pitching for it. And one was this huge company who gave the impression they were going to roll it out as cheaply as possible without putting any love into it and the company we went with is called ginger fox and they are small and nurturing and they really took it seriously and they test over and over like you guys and they really cared about it and i've come up with half the tasks they've come up with half the tasks and the new one's coming out hopefully next year really but it's their idea and i can't say any more about it but it's a twist on it they're just nice people who are gamers they very much remind me of you guys you know they live and breathe it they have board game nights in the pub every week that's their world I completely trusted them, I suppose. Yeah. And everything we try to do with Taskmaster, we try to make sure that every product with it is quality rather than quantity. And it's not about money for me anyway. <laughs> but the, the, the board game is, is meant to just be a nice thing, mm-hmm. uh, a good thing. So, yeah, so it was really interesting. But I let them get on with what they know best. Well, there is so much more we could dive into. We could dive into the Taskmaster book that came out and the second book, which is its own puzzle hunt book and the No More Jockeys, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point we realized that as a human, you need to sleep. So AJ. Uh, I'm going to do a special format for this uh, section of the show. Um, Viewers might be a little (laughs) thrown. Uh, Alex, would you mind reading the thing that I just uh, sent you? Yes. Tell us the most important item left on your bucket list. Your time starts now. How long do I have, AJ? <laughs> there's no conditional. There's no like fastest wins. There's no time limit. So I- I'd love to sit here and talk with you for hours. <laughs> so there's absolutely no time limit. <laughs> right. So you've left it open. Now, that's a very good question. The most important item. 
left on my bucket list. Important is a good word. So in Taskmaster, the adjectives are crucial. You know, is it most spectacular or most entertaining? So most important item. Ah. If you'd like, we could go first. We all we always ask each other these fun questions. Oh, do we? Yeah. It's difficult not to be worthy, and <laughs> I, I want to be genuine for you. But yeah, I'd love to hear yours first. Hey, Jay, you go first. All right, all right. Uh, I bet you Peter could guess mine. I am not a very ambitious person. I don't have a lot of big, fancy, elaborate goals. I don't like vacations or anything. My answer is simply, I don't actually have a published board game yet. I have many designs. I don't have any that have actually been published and gone to the public. I obviously love board games. I live and breathe them. And the day that I get one published, that's going to be, you know, 20 plus years of me designing my own board games and that's by far the most important thing that's left on my bucket list for me mine is a weird one because i'm speaking to a canadian and a uh, a brit but i would really love to get american citizenship Hmm. this big dumb country is so dumb and so big and so (laughs) dumb and i just love it to bits and I'm, i'm here on a business visa so getting citizenship that's probably my most the most important item left on my bucket list i would say these are good answers. I'm going to go for a work answer as well, because I think this, that's why we're here in some ways. So not, not work, but, you know, this world. So um, there's a program here called Desert Island Discs, which has been going on the radio for must be 60, Decades, 70 years. Yeah. yeah. And there's a podcast of it. And that's the only podcast I listen to because of time. And fun problems, of course. <laughs> oh, sorry. This is the only other program I listen to. <laughs> the only other podcast I listen to. And everyone here in the entertainment world, daydreams of what discs they would have on that program. And it means you've made it if you if you get invited on that program. You've, you, That's amazing. Not many people do it. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to take on that. And partly because I want to bring on all my own records. <laughs> only, only a few people have done that and it's so funny when they've had a singer on who's just chosen their own work. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I might have Rosalind as a nightmare as one of my songs. So good. Classic. Uh, listen to it every night Um, yeah 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 (laughs) alex horn thank you so much not only for coming on the show but also for making taskmaster and for making no more jockeys and for uh oh i'm I'm gonna get personal here um okay i'm ready i completely burned out last year i had a really bad year i just took a month off which i don't do very often i took a month off and i was like i'm just gonna just not do any work and i was in such a funk that i couldn't do any work and Watching No More Jockeys and Taskmaster really got me out of that. Like that was a hugely significant program for me. So thank you so much for making that. Well, that's very nice to hear. I think if I knew that at the time, if I had that at the back of my head, I'd feel so much responsibility. (laughs) I would have been unable to do anything. That's what makes it work. It's fun. Like you're not trying to, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but you're not trying to, you know, push a political agenda and change the world on these shows. You're having fun. No, we're not. No, we're not. And it's taken me a long time to realize that that's all right and that we're doing a good thing, that it's okay to be frivolous and funny. I I didn't didn't put on The West Wing. I didn't put on Game of Thrones. I put on No More Jockeys and Taskmaster, and that was exactly what I needed to, you know, remember that there is joy in the world on a personal level. Thank you so much. Well, that's lovely to hear because I feel like I'm a coward and I will never tweet anything political or any opinions really because it's just oh it's just not worth the hassle so yeah that's my world is just trying to create a little bit of light and fun we edit this show quite heavily so people who you didn't hear the whole rant that alex horn went on about brexit and about yeah, um, yeah. just 40 minutes we had to cut where we were like alex please can we get back to taskmaster he's like no the people need to know the people do need to know yeah <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs>
If this is your first time listening, which I suspect it might be a few people, this is a show that comes out twice a month. It's about the problems of making fun problems, where we define fun problems as a board game and the process of making a board game as a fun problem. And it's a pretty good description of Taskmaster. It's just people solving fun yeah. problems. That, that's the essence of the show. That could easily be the name of the show. Fun problems. Yeah. <laughs> You've got it as a name, but yeah, it, it works. If you want it for the new season Taskmaster, Alex, you can have it. That, that's a gift <laughs> okay. from us to you. Totally fine by us. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Yeah, we talk about all kinds of game design stuff. So if you enjoyed this, check out some of the other episodes. There's some real bangers in there. Even if you don't like game design, listen to our last one, Inhuman Conditions, where we just play a party game live on air. It's super fun. And a lot of people who never listened to Fun Problems who have no interest in game design, I've sent it to, and they had a blast with it. Oh, lovely. And thank you again for everything. Yeah. I think that's all from us. Thanks, guys. I, 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 very much a pleasure to be on your podcast, and I will listen to that one from last week. That's right up on my street. Oh, lovely. I've been Peter C. Hayward. I've been AJ Brandon. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Fun Problems Pod, or reach us via email at funproblemspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend.